Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. continuing our study just to give you guys a bit of a snapshot on first corinthians it's really great because next sunday is palm sun technically palm sunday and we're going to be in chapter 15 and 16 which is wrapping up the book of first corinthians and in that chapter we see paul's teaching on the resurrection of jesus christ so it works perfectly with our study through first corinthians we'll be wrapping up first corinthians next sunday we'll have special messages all throughout the easter week and Easter Sunday, and then we're going to pick right back up where Paul left off uh, studying 2 Corinthians, and so it's going to be a great time. You guys should uh, have your journals for that, and we also have study guides and um, overviews and outlines for our life groups. If you haven't connected, we're going deeper in our life groups through the book of First and 2 Corinthians. It's a great opportunity. It's not too late to jump into those as well. So um, we are actually in a two-part series, if you've been with us over the last a couple of weeks, we're in a two-part series looking at spiritual gifts. And last week we looked at Paul's teaching, is chapters um, uh, 12, 13, and 14 is really this teaching that Paul has on the spiritual gifts. And in chapter 12, we see the purpose of spiritual gifts. And chapter 14, we see the practice of spiritual gifts. And then right in the middle, we see this beautiful declaration of love that ties both the purpose and the practice of spiritual gifts together. And if you missed last week's message, you can go and listen on our website, questsd.com, or you can go to our YouTube or Facebook page and watch the restream of the service. But last week, we talked about how spiritual service is the purpose of God's people when the spiritual gifts are activated in the body of Christ. Paul encouraged the church in Corinth not to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, so he wanted them to have spiritual maturity when it comes to understanding their own spiritual gifts and the special ability that each one of us has been given by the Holy Spirit. And when we are activating that special ability given to us, then we see the mutual ministry in the body of Christ. We're interdependent upon one another. We're encouraging and building up one another. We can do so much more together than we ever could do alone. And that's why the spiritual gifts are so important in unifying the body of Christ together. Because that really was a challenge. We've talked about this in great detail in the church in Corinth. They were divided. They were looking to men and people and other things. They were selfishly promoting their own selves and forsaking the needs of others. And so Paul is constantly reminding them, coming back to this essential quality of unity and the spiritual gifts provide the platform in which to have that type of unity. So uh, what we're going to see today really is this significant, important component of love that ties all of this together, as well as a a teaching on two specific gifts. One is prophecy, and the other is the gift of tongues. And these were some challenges that the church were experiencing in Corinth. And we're going to talk a little bit more in detail. We're going to highlight some of the main points here in these chapters. But the main point for us to remember today is that spiritual gifts edify others through love. 
We touched on this a bit last week in the sense that spiritual gifts aren't to promote ourselves, but they're to glorify God and build other people up. And the way we do that is through love. And love is a very difficult, challenging word for us to understand, particularly if we have not experienced the love that we see in the Bible here on planet Earth or in relationships that we have with family and with friends. It can be very difficult to comprehend the love of God. There's very various levels of love when you look at the Bible. In fact, the original language of Greek and of Hebrew and of Aramaic in the Bible has many different definitions of love. There can be an affectionate love, a brotherly affectionate love between friends. There can be a sensual love between partners and spouses. But there's also the agape love, which is the Greek word there that's used in this chapter for love. And uh, that word uh, describes uh, sacrifice, um, the sacrificial and unconditional love of God. And so this love we're going to see in a couple of ways and the gifts being practiced. First, we're going to see the most valuable gift of all, and that is love. Secondly, we're going to see the most profitable or desirable gift of all, and that is prophecy, as Paul teaches here in this chapter. And then thirdly, we're going to see the most vulnerable gift of all, and that's the gift of tongues. Vulnerable because it is prone to being uh, misused and abused and manipulated. And so we're going to dig into all these issues as we look at, actually look at verse 31 of chapter 12. Because after Paul in verse 25 has already said, there should be no schisms or divisions within you because you are one body and with one body you have different functions and when you are functioning together you are unified together however Paul says in verse 31 but earnestly desire the best gifts spiritual gifts remember last week we talked about how the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not the natural abilities and talents that you have and even those are from God but the gifts of the Holy Spirit are rooted in the grace of God That God's grace is what sustains you and gives you and I the ability to glorify him and serve others. So he says, desire the best gifts. And you might be wondering, well, what is the best gift? Well, he's going to tell us that right here. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. Everyone say excellent. Excellent. This excellency is what Paul talks about in verse 1 here of chapter 13, which is love. Though I speak with the tongues... Of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Everyone say love. love. This is a key, very famous uh, chapter in all of the Bible. And I hope that we would sink these scriptures deep down into our heart and understand the love of God. But also understand how that love is, um, how we become a conduit to others for that love. And though I have the gift of prophecy, verse 2, and understand, <clears throat> understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. And there's this wonderful definition or description. You see, we have this one word, love, four-letter word, L-O-V-E. But notice all of the descriptive words that are defined for us in verses 4 through 7. And it takes a lot of descriptive words to define this type of love. And I like to uh, put my name in place of love when I read these verses. Not because I am perfect in all of these qualities, but more often than not, I need to grow in these qualities of love, and I need this type of love to be demonstrated in my life. But I also like to put the name of Jesus 
in place of love in these verses because there is no perfect example of love in all of the scripture than the person of Jesus Christ. Rooted in the gospel is the love of God for you and I. In fact, the book of 1 John tells us that God is love, that love is the core essential part of his nature and character. And because of that love that is a part of his nature, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That greater love has no one than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends, which is what Jesus said to his disciples and what he modeled for us in this agape, sacrificial, unconditional love. And that is the love being described here. Love is patient or suffers long, maybe in your translation, and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. In the following verses, Paul describes how all other gifts of the Holy Spirit will cease at one point, but love never does. In fact, he says in verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three remain, but the greatest of these is love. Now everyone say greatest. Greatest. So this is our focus on chapter 13, obviously, that Paul describes here. Love is the most valuable gift of all. Now when we talk about these three different gifts, uh, love, prophecy, as well as the gift of tongues, we see that there is a different practice in all of these. In fact, love, as Paul describes here, is directed to all people. Prophecy, which is not foretelling of the future as defined by Paul in chapter 14, but it's foretelling of what God has already said. It is Holy Spirit-inspired, biblically-sourced teaching, instruction, encouragement, edification, comfort, and consolation for other people. And this type of prophecy that Paul describes is directed towards others for the edification and building up of others. And then Paul goes on to talk about how the gift of tongues, which is, uh, you might have heard it uh, called a prayer language, it's a foreign language to the speaker, as well as to somebody who might be hearing this type of language. It's a prayer language that is directed towards God. So love is directed towards all people. Uh, Prophecy is directed towards other people. And uh, the gift of tongues is directed towards God. We're going to see that all take place. But first, Paul says that love is an indispensable gift that ties all of our ministry and activity and service to God and to others. All other spiritual gifts are useless, Paul says, without the stimulus of love, without the motivation of love, without the means of love, without the method of love. Paul says you can have the greatest ability in prophecy and understanding. In fact, I saw a uh, quote recently that said, Uh, It's useless if you could find Jesus in the Old Testament and in all the prophets if you can't find Jesus in your life today. If there's no representation of Jesus, and the greatest representation of Jesus is love. In fact, that's what Jesus prayed for his disciples and his church prior to his death, burial, and ascension into heaven. That they would love one another. And by the love that we have towards one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. That we would be unified and loving one another. 
In, in fact, it's love that stimulates the spiritual gifts. It's love that unites us together. And Paul says that this type of love is impeccable. And I mentioned earlier, I like to put my name in there because I fall short about many of these qualities. Oftentimes in stressful situations or difficult uh, relationships or challenging times, this type of love or this type of reaction is not, I don't know about you, I'm just being honest here, but maybe if you were too, you would identify with the fact that we don't naturally respond with this type of patience and kindness and uh, not, not behaving rudely or not easily provoked. Oftentimes when it's very stressful, that's when I am easily provoked and I fly off the handle. I say things that I regret or I do things that I regret. And this is the reaction that Paul says we should have in love because as Paul says, love never fails. Love is perfectly suited for every place and every person. It's perfect application for whatever situation you might find yourself in today, whatever relationship you may have, because it is ultimately indestructible. Paul says that other spiritual gifts will cease. They will come to an end, but love never does. In fact, he talks about how faith, hope, and love, but love never fails. Love is permanent. It's complete. And when all else fails, love never does. And that, my friends, is a beautiful picture of the love of God that he has for you. Maybe you have had a misinterpretation of this type of love in your life through relationships or experiences in life. But even though you may not have received this type of love here on planet Earth, I want to tell you that you can receive the greatest love through your Heavenly Father. And this type of love will never fail you. It will never leave you high and dry it will never walk out on you. It will never break its promise to you. It will never turn you over or turn you around. It will never fail. God will never fail you. It's perfect. It's complete. And this gives us such great hope because not only is God's love perfect and complete in our own lives, he's also calling us, which is a very high calling, a very difficult calling, to demonstrate this type of love to other people. Now, how are we going to love this way unless we haven't received that type of love from God? When God pours out his love into our hearts, now the uh, Bible tells us that we can cry out to him as Abba Father. We can have a relationship with him and understand him, but we can also extend that type of love to other people, which does not come naturally to us, but is what identifies us as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the love of Jesus Christ. A greater love is no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that tells us that we are not to withhold love from other people even though they have done something wrong to us, even though they have hurt us deeply. Now, we can't control another person's reaction or another person's response, but we can our own. And that type of love, L-O-V-E, for Letters, a small little word that is so very difficult to live and apply in the hardest of situations, but it never fails. God will sustain you with his love. And it's the greatest of qualities. The greatest quality above all is our capacity to love all. We might think, well, I got all these great abilities and all these great talents. But if we're not loving 
We're not extending that type of love. Paul says in the beginning of this chapter, it means nothing. It's pointless to have ability without a fullness of charity. And that's really the word being described here. Maybe your translation uses that word charity. It's benevolence and love and sacrifice, unconditional care and compassion for other people. That means we need to step out of the way and let God's love work in the way of relationships. And really, this chapter and this concept of love... It's, it's the peak of 1 Corinthians. It's the summit of all of what Paul has been teaching up until this point. With the divisions and the schisms and the fighting and the wars and the fractions and the splits. Paul is saying that you can have unity in the body of Christ if you are exercising the charity of God, the love of God. The mercy and the kindness and the grace of God. Above all, every single one of us has the capacity to love. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to let that type of love be released in our lives? Well, we can if we're following Jesus. and We have the love of God being poured out into our hearts. This is a beautiful chapter that ties the purpose and the practice of spiritual gifts together. All the spiritual gifts functioning in the love of God. And then we're going to see here in chapter 14, the practice of these two different gifts. I think I defined them earlier as far as the prophecy and, uh, and the gift of tongues. And unfortunately, these gifts tend to be most misunderstood. But I found in reading these chapters afresh and anew, let me encourage you to just read these chapters at home this week. Oftentimes, we define our theology and our doctrine and our understanding of spiritual gifts or other things based on what other people have said, based on what other denominations practice, based on what we see in a church when we walk in for the very first time. But some things in the church that are practiced, some things that are practiced in the church are not biblically taught in the Bible. And so we have the source of truth, the word of God, to be able to identify God's word. And ultimately, Paul says that there is order and there's no confusion in the body of Christ or in, even with God. There's order. And so the, sim the simple reading of these chapters in understanding these gifts are very clear and identifiable for us in uh, understanding how these gifts are to be used. So look at verse, four, verse 1 of chapter 14. The summary of chapter 13 is pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Everyone say especially. First and foremost, now Paul's going to tell us why. For he who speaks in a tongue, remember it's a foreign language, in a prayer directed towards God that is undiscernible to the speaker and undiscernible to the hearer, aside from interpretation. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Very important. The practice of spiritual, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues is not a declaration or a word of encouragement to men, but it is a, a prayer directed towards God. For no one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But in contrast, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies 
edifies the church. Paul, in the following verses, is going to describe a couple of analogies using music as a way to describe the gift of prophecy. He says, listen, when you play the flute, you play that according to certain notes. And when you play that, it's discernible and understandable and it's beautiful in the same way that edification must be discernible and understanding when it comes to the gift of prophecy. But look at verse 18. Paul says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than any of you all. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, obviously, Paul is addressing the church, the gathered church. We've moved into this last section of the book of 1 Corinthians dealing with the order and the practice of gathered worship together of instruction and spiritual gifts and worship and prayer and uh, these sorts of things. And so Paul here is describing this practice of spiritual gifts, prophecy. The prophecy, Paul says here, is the most profitable or we could also say the most desirable gift of all. And this gift is directed towards others. Paul says that we should seek to pursue it and attain it and acquire it. And this type of spiritual gift of prophecy, as I mentioned earlier, in the context of this teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is not foretelling of the future, of things that have yet to take place, but it is foretelling of God's word. It is a Holy Spirit-inspired, biblically sourced and biblically based teaching or instruction or exhortation that would console and edify and build up the body of Christ. Now, Paul in chapter 12, if you remember, said that there is these one spiritual gift, but there's various activities and ministries and manifestations of these spiritual gifts. So the gift of prophecy and biblical teaching and instruction and exhortation is happening currently right now as we're opening up God's word through the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word. But you can have the gift of prophecy and not be up on a platform or behind a podium and as a, a pastor and a shepherd, you could also be giving words of encouragement that are from your Bible time and devotional time, encouraging others and building them up. Paul says, this is what truly matters when the body of Christ comes together and what unifies us. Now, Paul's going to go on to say, don't forbid, excuse me, don't forbid the, the gift of the speaking in tongues, but pursue first and foremost the gift of prophecy. So there is a time and a place and a way in which the gift of tongues can be operated for the edification of the body of Christ, directed towards God, two or three, so there's order and there's function and there's guidelines and there's practices, so that people are built up. And Paul talks about how if somebody were to come in to a church service who was an unbeliever and see a bunch of people who were out of their minds and out of control, speaking in various different tongues, it would be confusing for them. And Paul says, I would rather speak five words of edification than 10,000 words of speaking in tongues so that other people can be drawn to the person of Jesus Christ and understand his love for them. In fact, Paul also says that those who use and exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the gathered worship service have control over their own spirit. There should never be a place and time, this is what the Bible says, not Sherwood says, there should never be a place and time where people in the church are out of control. 
where they would come and say, well, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I had no control over what I said. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we have the control of our spirit to whether we're going to exercise that spiritual gift or whether we're going to reserve that spiritual gift because there is order and there is uh, worship and there is control within the body of Christ. And so there is a contrast between maybe some things that you might have experienced in other places with what the Bible actually teaches. And that's why the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching and or instruction is so important and vital to be rooted in the word of God. Because God will never contradict himself in the worship service or in the body of Christ or in what somebody may or may not say whether they have been or have not been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Someone could say, well, the Holy Spirit told me, but how do you know that? You do, well, one way to know that is whether or not what that person has said contradicts what God has already said. Those are the very easy ones to know whether or not it's true or not. However, Paul says prophecy is so beneficial. I'm not the greatest at math, but if you do the math on 5 and 10,000, you'll see that prophecy is 2,000 times more effective at building others up than the gift of tongues in the gathered worship service. Now that's math I can understand. That's something that I want to pursue. In fact, Paul encourages the pursuing of that type of gift and encouragement. It's happening in our children's ministry. It's happening in our youth ministry. It's happening in our gathered worship. It's happening outside on the courtyard while we're having fellowship. As God has spoken to us in our time with him and his word, and he's now gonna use you to give that type of instruction and encouragement, we're building one another up. Edification, Paul says, is not possible if the instruction is not understandable. If we can't understand what God is saying or the words that are being used to build up and encourage us, it's not possible to have that. That's why Paul says, seek and pursue the gift of biblical instruction and teaching and exhortation so that it can be used as a way to encourage others. And in both of these gifts, Paul gives a warning. And that warning describes guidelines or admonitions uh, or restraints on the practice of these types of spiritual gifts. In fact, he uses the word or phrase two or three. Uh, prophecy and as well as the gift of tongues should be practiced with order and with restraint because Paul goes on to talk about the importance and the significance of the gift of tongues in verse 26. Look with me there and we'll close with this. How is it then, brethren, whenever you, can, whenever you come together... Each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So Paul defines for us the order of the gifts of tongues in worship. And that is two or three, but also there should be interpretation so that what is spoken in a foreign prayer language to God can be discernible and understanding and edifying to the body of Christ. If anyone speaks in a tongue, verse 27, he says, but verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For 
you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as is in all the churches and in all the saints. And then drop down to verse 39. Paul says in conclusion, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. In both of these instances, with prophecy and in tongues, we see that there should be order and practice and restraint within the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this type of gift of the tongues is a a prayer that is directed towards God. But notice what Paul says. It edifies the speaker. It's directed towards God and edifies the speaker. Prophecy is different. Prophecy is uh, directed towards uh, others and edifies others. But it can also be very confusing for other people. That is the gift of tongues. It can be confusing for unbelievers who come into a place and are seeking God but don't have any clear direction and understandable instruction on the way of God from the word of God. So Paul says, let there be restraints. Let there be interpretation and let there be two or three. You see, the gift of tongues should be regulated uh, by instruction and interpretation so that the spiritual gifts, Paul ultimately says, so that the spiritual gifts can function within the body of Christ with intelligence and prudence. You see how Paul ties all of this together? This was very important for this church in Corinth because if you remember in the very first chapter, one of the things that Paul commended the church on was, that, was their earnest zeal and desire for spiritual gifts and serving God. However, it was necessary for Paul to provide this teaching and instruction on the purpose and the practice of spiritual gifts because those spiritual gifts were being misused and abused to point the attention and the glory and the focus on other people as well as to control others who did not have those types of spiritual gifts. And Paul is leveling the playing field in the body of Christ right now. He's saying every single one of us has experienced the love of God. And if we are to serve and love and function and operate within the body, mutually benefiting and encouraging one another, then we do that with the glue that bonds us together, which is love. Love that is sacrificial. Love that is unconditional. Love that is full of grace for the messiness of other people's lives. It's full of tenderness and compassion because at the end of chapter uh, chapter 12, Paul says, if one suffers, the whole body suffers. If one is honored, the whole body is honored. We're mutually dependent and connected one to another, but it means that we extend so much grace to one another because there is so much sin in each one of us. There's so much frailty and failure. But even in our failure, What's beautiful about this message is that God's love will never fail. It will always be available to us. And we can absorb that love and then be wrung out in service through the spiritual gifts so that others can be refreshed by that same love. And today we have a wonderful opportunity to celebrate, to commemorate, as well as to remember this love that was demonstrated for you and I, this agape love. So I'm going to have our worship team come on up 
And uh, they're going to lead us in a closing song. But also we have an opportunity to partake of communion today. And let me encourage you to read verses, uh, this is chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Read it while you're examining your heart and just spending time and talking to God, confessing your sin and remembering his sacrifice. Before we partake of communion together in just a few moments, read these verses afresh and anew with this perspective of God's love for you. Jesus on the cross was long-suffering and patient. He's kind and compassionate. Jesus on the cross did not envy. He did not parade himself. He was not prideful. Jesus did not behave rudely and fight back to those who were beating him and cursing him and whipping him and mocking him on the cross. He did not seek his own. In fact, he surrendered his own will so that the will of the Father could be done. He was not easily provoked. He could have retaliated when those Roman soldiers mocked him and beat him and put a bag over his head and hit him on the head and said, now, if you are who you say you are, prophesy, who was it that beat you? He was not provoked. He thought no evil. He did not rejoice in iniquity. He did not, um, but rejoiced in the truth. Jesus, on the cross, for you and I, he bared all things in his body so that we could be healed. He believed all things, hoped all things. Jesus endured all things for you and I on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. What a beautiful picture of love. Help us, Lord, to experience that love, but also give that love. And I pray for anyone here in this room who has a real hard time with that very complex little word in our language, love. You might have a love-hate relationship with love because of what you've experienced in life. Let me encourage you today with the communion elements you hold in your hand, remind you that God loves you. His love and his mercy is everlasting. It's new every morning. It will never run out. He desires to have that relationship with you to give you that type of love. And I pray, Lord, that you would release the body of Christ here at Quest Church to love others well, even in the face of stressful, painful storms and circumstances, relationships that are strained. Lord, release us by the power of your Holy Spirit to love like this type of love and to serve in this way with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you've given to us. I pray that you would spark spiritual revival and spiritual awakening in the hearts of every single one in this room and who are part of this church and who are joining us online, that you would spark a flame of spiritual gifts of service to you, God, activating glory, purpose, and significance, and meaning. I pray if there are any who don't understand or know their gift, that you would reveal that to them because we need you. We need you to step up and to step into the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you through his grace to build us up. Everybody has something. 
But nobody has everything. That's why we're all in this together. We love you, God. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.